Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. This is Scott Rochelle, and this is the Bay Area Podcast here on the Bleed Podcast Network, the Bay Area's number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in the Bay Area and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're also available in favorite directory, Spotify, Google Play, Citra Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. You can find me personally at Rochelle Radio on Twitter. On this week's show, we'll be talking about some NFL football as the San Francisco 49ers have a matchup over the next few days. Before we do all that, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on the football field once again. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more props, odds, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football-related. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back, everyone, to the Ben Brea Podcast. Now, before we end up going on break, we previewed what we're going to do with this week's show. Once again, talking about the San Francisco 49ers and their upcoming matchup over the weekend. But... Before we do that, we're going to quickly recap how we did last week, and we went 2-0 because we had the Packers plus the points and the over. Game itself was crazy. I'll get into it in a second, but for us, definitely a nice 2-0 sweep there. I thought that it would be a very close game, and it was, and unfortunately for the Niners, the Packers ended up winning the game, but fortunately for us, we had the points and the over, and that's exactly what happened. But either way, looking at the uh, upcoming matchup for the 49ers, they have to take on their first division rival of the season as they end up taking on the Seattle Seahawks. And of course, that's going to be entertaining because when are their matchups not entertaining? But uh, before we actually get into uh, the breakdown for, let's say, the matchup itself, we're going to talk about how both teams have fared so far this season, particularly last week and where they can go moving forward. But starting with the Niners, of course, we just talked about it. They lost to Green Bay yesterday by, not yesterday, uh, sorry, on uh, Sunday night, uh, in a very, very close game on that field goal by Crosby at the end. Now, what I might say might be a little bit, I don't want to say controversial, because it's not exactly positive about the Niners, and I know that a lot of the listeners to this podcast are are pro Niners. San Francisco had no business winning that game, and the officiating was so beyond awful in favor of the Really just the Niners. Green Bay didn't get a damn call for the entire game. And I feel like a lot of the momentum that was caused when the Niners ended up coming back was, I don't want to say solely because of ref ball, but it definitely felt that way. For the record, I thought Garoppolo was definitely, let's just say, in the pocket, and he threw the ball well, well below the line of scrimmage on that uh, incompletion on the goal line, which ended up resulting in the Trey Lance uh, uh, rushing touchdown before half. But that should have been intentional grounding. That's uh, the definition of intentional grounding to me. Other than that, you had the ticky-tack pass interference calls against Green Bay while Devontae Adams got decapitated over the middle and he was unconscious on the field and they didn't call anything. But either way, Packers ended up winning the game and it's going to hurt 
you know, you to hear this, but the right team won the game. I thought Green Bay outplayed San Francisco for the majority of it, and I thought they did a good job of closing it out. Niners, though, when you're gifted that many chances, you can't let the other team, I know that Aaron Rodgers is an all-time great quarterback, but you can't let the other team go 42 yards in 37 seconds. Like, you just can't let that happen. It wasn't even that. It was really just two plays. You had the 25-yard pass to Adams, and you had the 17-yard pass to Adams. Nobody was near him. Now, I understand if you want to play zone and try to let your pass rushers get after Rodgers, but you got to at least put another guy shadowing on Adams because he's the main weapon, obviously. Scaling NL had a touchdown, but I think you're more, I'd say, willing to give up a big play to Scantling or to Lazard than Adams because Adams is arguably the best receiver in the league. So when it came to the final drive defense, I give the Niners an F-. And yeah, definitely not a good way to close out the game after rallying back from being down 17 points in the first half. But looking at the actual numbers here, Rodgers obviously was very solid. He had 261 passing yards, two touchdowns, and no picks. Only sacked one time. They did pressure him a little bit, but Rodgers is still pretty elusive for his age, and he was able to buy some extra time when needed. Meanwhile, you have Aaron Jones, who was pretty good. 19 carries, 82 yards, one touchdown. A.J. Dillon had a little bit of touches there, but not many, and the Packers averaged four yards a carry, so Green Bay had some balance, but it was mostly through the passing game. They ended up torching San Francisco, because Vontae Adams, I just mentioned how good he is and how he might be the best receiver in the league, 12 receptions, 100, 132 yards, one touchdown. Scaling at 59 to touchdown, like I said, but when Lazard gets you one reception, Scaling gives you three and Adams gives you 12, maybe you should throw an extra guy in Adams for the final drive, just saying. But anyway, they did not, and Adams made the two big plays that ended up winning the Packers the game because of the Crosby field goal. Other than that, uh, looking at the actual offense for San Francisco, the pass protection was not there because you had four sacks on Garoppolo, and you had the one backwards tuck rule fumble where Garoppolo just handed them three points, which was just crazy. But either way, should have been five with the intentional grounding, no call, which I consider basically a sack. But anyway... Garoppolo was okay, 257 passing yards, two touchdowns. I thought he was fine. I know he was pretty brutal in the first half, and then he picked it up as the second half really got underway. But San Francisco, the issue that I had with them going into the matchup, which is why I liked Green Bay, was that they couldn't run the ball because all of the running backs basically died within the last three weeks. Uh, They had Trey Sermon back, who was in concussion protocol, and he did next to nothing. He had 10 carries for 31 yards and a touchdown. But you were missing Mitchell. You were missing Hasty. Of course, Mostert's out for the year. 21 carries for 67 yards. I know you had two rushing touchdowns and all, but you have no balance at all. And I feel like I mentioned that numerous times, and I thought Green Bay would honestly do a better job against the pass because they knew that San Francisco couldn't run it. But if you're letting Garoppolo throw the ball 40 times, odds are you're probably not going to win. I know that Garoppolo is an okay quarterback, but I think people would view him being more as a game manager, which means you want him somewhere in the realm of, I'd say of low 20s for pass attempts, maybe high 20s if you think that there's some openings downfield, but 40 pass attempts. I know that game flow played a huge factor, but this team can't run the ball, and that's definitely going to be an issue moving forward. But for the receiving game, uh, Debo Samuel, who was leading the way for the first couple of weeks, ended up having a pretty quiet day, 52 yards, 5 receptions, which is fine, but when you're targeted 10 times and you only have 5 catches, it's not exactly ideal. George Kittle, though, was great. He had nine, he had 92 yards and a seven receptions, nine targets. So he definitely had himself a big game. He had a big catch on San Francisco's final drive, which helped set up the touchdown. Juice Check, of course, had the final uh, touchdown catch. 
and that was definitely a solid play by him. Unfortunately, San Francisco probably wished he went down at the one-yard line because maybe they would have been able to score instead of giving Rodgers the ball back. But you can't blame Juszczyk there. He's trying to score, and he ended up scoring a little bit too quickly. But anyway, Ayuk was okay. Four receptions for 37 yards and a touchdown. He had the touchdown, which helped, but I'm not really sure what's going on with Ayuk. I know he had a hamstring issue going into the year, but he was supposed to be the second-year breakout guy. And I don't want to say he's been phased out of the offense because he's still a part of it, but it seems like San Francisco or Garoppolo really just have not gone out of their way to, I'll just say, amplify his opportunities because it seems like Samuel's going to be the number one guy from what I've seen based on target share and just based on production. Kittle's going to do Kittle things, so you know he's going to get the ball a decent amount. And Ayuk is basically there, but when you get the same amount of targets as Mohamed Sanu, who they picked up during the offseason, I think he got a problem because I think Ayuk's more talented and he's not being utilized properly. But that's a separate story. Anyway, looking at the defense here, yeah, he had the one sack I mentioned by Armstead, so he played pretty well. But at the end of the day, the main issue that they ended up running into was the fact that they ended up not forcing a single turnover and they ended up committing two. So anytime you're giving the ball away two times more than the opposition, including one time in your own territory, it's going to be pretty difficult to win, especially against an elite quarterback, and that's why the Packers weren't able to get the job done. But now switching gears, talking about how Seattle did last week. Luckily for the Niners, Seattle also stunk, because Seattle ended up losing to Minnesota, and that game really was not that close. They lost by 13 points. game was very entertaining in the first half. It was kind of a wild game, honestly. You had 17 points in the first quarter. You had 21 points in the second quarter, so with 38 points at the half, you think you're basically locked in for an over. You think you're about to see maybe 70 points. And instead, can I interest you in no touchdowns for the entire second half? And the Vikings ended up winning the second half 9 to nothing. So both teams made good defensive adjustments, but Seattle's one of those teams which I can't even really describe how, how they are able to really just win games. It's really a paradox to me. I'm going to explain it briefly. I don't think that Seattle, I don't think Seattle's had a good roster since the Legion of Boom left, which I know sounds controversial, but I just think Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll do so much random, I'd say nonsense in a good way in the fourth quarter of games. They always win the one score games. And I don't think the roster is that good. You can go through the actual team Wilson, we know, is an elite quarterback. I'm aware of that. Carson's a pretty good running back. He only had 12 carries last week, but he had 80 yards and a touchdown. But he gets injured almost every year, so we'll see what happens. You have Metcalf, who's a great receiver, who finally had his coming out party in this season uh, because he ended up having 107 yards and one touchdown. Lockett was pretty quiet. He had four receptions for 31 yards, but he's been very good this season. And you look at everyone else, and Seattle's third receiver is arguably Freddie Swain. That's it. They don't really have a third wide receiver. I think their tight end and Everett's decent, and Disley too. So they have two decent tight ends, but you're looking at the lack of depth in the receiving core. You're basically expecting Wilson to run around and just invent things on the fly, which he's done in, his, in the past, but it seems like Seattle's become too over-reliant on him doing that, that the overall team has been less consistent in past years because they just rely on Wilson to bail out the lack of personnel pretty much every single year defensively, they're not very good. I mean, they ended up re-signing Jamal Adams because even if you don't like Adams as a player, they needed to. They gave up about two to three first-round picks for him, so you can't let him walk after that. It's the same reason why the Clippers ended up re-signing Paul George. But you're looking at Adams. He's a good tackler. 
The only problem is he's basically a safety-playing linebacker, so your coverage stinks because he's going to really just play in the box the entire time. He'll help you with the run. He'll get after the quarterback. But if your safety can't cover anybody, which Adams basically cannot do, then you're going to have problems. And Kirk Cousins absolutely torched this defense. But Bobby Wagner, we know, is very solid. Other than that, defensive line was, well, not very good. Had one sack against Kirk Cousins, and Cousins absolutely torched this team. 30 of 38 for 323 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, QBR of 93.2. Now, Cousins, I know, has had a great year statistically, but everyone still has the stigma that Cousins is okay, but if you're a competent football team, you should basically beat him every time. And Seattle got absolutely smacked. There really wasn't much to say. Dalvin Cook didn't even play. And Alexander Madison off the bench had 26 carries for 112 yards. So he torched this team on the ground through the air. They torched him. I don't really know where Seattle had any success defensively. They barely pressured the quarterback. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the pass. And they also ended up forcing zero turnovers. So Seattle's defense was awful. And there's really not much more to say. But going through the receiving core, you had... Uh, Thielen and Jefferson, who both had a touchdown. Jefferson had nine receptions for 118 yards and one touchdown. He was great. Conklin was pretty good at tight end as well. He had 70 yards and a touchdown. And Thielen had 50 yards and a touchdown. So they really ended up spreading the wealth. Madison also had six receptions for 59 yards. So Seattle really was awful on defense. Now, I'm not saying it was bad as Washington against the Bills, but it wasn't good. And if you want to talk about going into a matchup, Seattle's defense definitely has a lot of concerns because this defense, after the Tennessee second half, could have potentially shown signs of, let's just say, renewed focus after letting, taking their foot off the gas there in that game they should have won against Tennessee. But instead, they showed up for a half and then punted. So, yeah, Seattle's 1-2, and two, currently in last place in the NFC West, but that's going to take us to our actual prediction for this game. Now, looking at the overall line... It's a pretty close one, because why wouldn't it be? These teams always have wars with each other. The total is 52, and the spread is currently San Francisco minus 2.5, but there are some threes that are starting to pop up. Now, the issue that I have with this matchup is the fact that since they're division rivals, and since every matchup, or most of them they have, are are pretty close, you're automatically attracted to take the underdog plus the points, just because you're assuming if it's going to come down to the wire, and there might be a field goal at the end and everything like that. You might as well try to take your points. But the truth is, I don't think Seattle's very good. Now, San Francisco, I think, has some issues, particularly on the defensive end, because half their players got injured, and they also have no running back. But I still believe the Niners are a better all-around team than the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks just can't stop anybody. I know that Garoppolo struggled against them last year and also got injured against them last year. But I do think that Garoppolo will play better. I think that the crowd at Levi Stadium, will provide a nice spark against this team. And Seattle is really a team that I actually thought wouldn't make the playoffs this year. I know that sounded like a hot take, but you look at what they've done so far. They beat the Colts. Congratulations, that team stinks. You lost to a Titans team in overtime. You blew a massive lead, and the Titans defensively are awful, and yet Seattle's offense completely shut down late in that game. And then you had the no-show against Minnesota. So I'm not going to roast Pete Carroll for... I'd say his past couple of years of underperforming, but is the clock ticking on Carroll? Does he have pure immunity because he won a world, he won a, uh, champ, a world championship a couple of years ago against Denver, of course, but he should have too, of course, with a New England interception by Butler. But the point is, I don't think Pete Carroll has adapted to today's NFL. 
And I feel like he relies so heavily on high-end talent to bail him out offensively. But the issue is, this year, besides three guys, they really don't have much high-end talent. And I think that's a problem. But I'm going to take the Niners. I think that at the end of the day, Seattle let the backup running back for Minnesota go for 112 yards last week. I think that San Francisco will focus a little bit more on trying to establish the run. And I am skeptical of Seattle's ability up front to handle San Francisco's offensive line. But... I'll take the Niners. I think they'll win this game pretty close, but I'll give them a four-point win there. It could potentially turn into a blowout if Seattle gets off to a slow start, but for this one, I'm going to use the spread of two and a half. It covers me for the field goal and for the potential four-point win there. I'm going to take San Francisco minus the two and a half, and I'm also going to end up taking the over in this one. Now, it's mostly because of the fact that Seattle is just awful defensively. And I think that the Niners should do pretty well at home, scoring potentially 30-plus points in this one. But even though Seattle only has really three to four guys, including Carson, who can really torch you, unfortunately, the 49ers don't exactly have many quality corners right now. So I do think that Metcalf or Lockett or both will have a pretty big game, which should lead to some fireworks. But once again, my thoughts for Week 4, I'm taking the Niners minus 2.5 and the over 52. That has been this installment of the Ben Maria Podcast. Bye, everyone. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 